Welcome to How Did I Get Here, the show that sets out to reassure people that life isn't linear and we should enjoy every step of the way. After all, it's only when we look back that we can connect the many dots that make up our life's journey. Each episode, I sit down with an inspiring human being for an extended and intimate chat about their incredible life and outlook. In these conversations, my guest and I will look back over their lives to tease out through brilliant anecdotes and recollections the key factors, moments and decisions that made them who they are today. So this time on the show, I had the pleasure of sitting down for a good old chinwag with the man, Jamie Sparks. So before we get into it, I'll give you a little context about him. At the tender age of 24, he's already got six Guinness World Records to his name, the first few of which he gained by being one half of the youngest pair to row across the Atlantic Ocean. Mind you, this was only rowing a mere 12 hours a day for 54 days straight. Reflecting on his achievements with a reporter for the Guinness World Records, Jamie said that it was the most incredible experience he's had and he'll never get the opportunity to do anything like this again. This, though, evidently was a lie, as just six months later he spent a further 71 days at sea skippering a four-man vessel that rode across the Indian Ocean from Exmouth, Australia to the Seychelles, gaining him a few more medals for the trophy cabinet. On top of being the world's youngest double ocean rower, he's ran seven marathons in seven days. He set up the Wadi Rum Ultra Marathon, which is the world's longest multi-day foot race through the deserts of Southern Jordan. Founded an expedition company that plans to take people to some of the most wild and remote places on this planet. And to stretch the legs this summer, he walked across Sri Lanka with his girlfriend and fellow adventurer, Lauren Moulton, who he tells me he actually met the start line of the Atlantic Row. Birds of a feather indeed. I have the pleasure and privilege of being Jamie's friend and business partner as we travel about making films together. And this podcast was actually recorded on a coach to Stockholm Airport as I had to jump at the opportunity of actually having us both together and sitting down and still for more than about five minutes. Now it's for this reason that the audio quality isn't quite as pucker as I would have liked, but I hope you'll agree that Jamie's stories and life outlook are more than enough to merit persevering with it so hang on in there overall i had a fantastic time recording with jamie and afterwards he said that it's the quickest bus journey he's had in a long time so i think that means he agrees i hope you guys do too and thank you very much for listening so without further ado let's hop aboard the bus from stockholm central to vesteras airport and enjoy my interview with jamie sparks jamie mate hello sam Nice to shake your hand. Absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you and for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Here we are, side by side, on the uh, on the coach to Vesteras Airport in Stockholm after a little shoot together. I've got uh, I've got stomach tingles, whatever you call it, butterflies. A stomach tingle butterflies. That's how exciting I am. My lord, how exciting you are! Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm riveted, mate. Edge of my seat. Edge of my seat. So we've got an hour before we arrive, and I thought I'd use this to uh, to grill you, to get you on my show. How did I get here? And I think you will be the actual first guest to be published. How does it feel? Very exciting. Always like being part of something new. Good, good, good. One of our many projects together. Well, so, first question for you, my friend. Mm. When did you decide you wanted to pursue being an adventurer as a career or vocation? I've always been fascinated by adventure and exploration and feats of daring challenge, you know, ever since 
started hearing about the likes of Ranulph Fiennes. We've all heard of, Sh of Scott and Shackleton and Fidon Nansen. These are all Arctic explorers. Um, but also the likes of Stanley, um, who traveled across Africa. And I'd always just been, you know, interested by these guys. I thought they were cool, they were brave. But I never went out to become an adventurer. I think it just just happened, you know, organically. I was at university, I was finding it dull. I'd had a year of travel before where I visited, you know, Australia and West Africa and did the usual route. And so I basically spent the whole year pissed. So by the time I got to university and found out that the next three years were going to be a similar style of thing, I became a bit disenchanted with the whole idea. So I just remember, in, you know, in the first few months of university, Googling toughest challenges on the planet just because I wanted to see firstly what sort of things came up and then I guess see whether I could actually take one of them on and ocean rowing came up specifically rowing the Atlantic and at first I thought oh my god who on earth would ever want to do anything like that you know spending up to three months at sea in a 24-foot boat braving storms eating dehydrated food going to the loo in a bucket it was claustrophobic it was terrifying and I dismissed it, but the idea just stayed with me. The seed, as they say, was planted. And I just found myself thinking about it constantly. And so I remember going down to, uh, going down to my bank, High Street in Bristol, paying the registration fee out of my student loan. And from then on outwards, I was committed. And a year later, I found myself at the start line of the world's toughest race. Incredible. So have you done a speech before, mate? Just, just looking around. A speech about yeah, a speech about your adventures. Yeah, many. many <laughs> I thought, oh yeah, I thought I thought it was a very well rehearsed, very interesting. So, was there a particular story that really enchanted you from an expedition leader or something like that? Like, like you were touched upon those people like finds. Was there one thing that really captured your imagination? I think it's the bravery of these guys, which really captures my imagination. But specifically, I watched through Hell and High Water, which is James Cracknell and Ben Fogel's Ocean Road. Um, and it just looks so damn hard. I thought, oh my God, if I could ever get around to doing that, to getting across the ocean, then surely I can do anything in life. And I just started taking those few steps. And, and that's what it is with a goal. It's not, you can't take a big chunk out. You've got to do mm. lots of little bites and Being bit pragmatic. by bit. Yeah. yeah, you'll edge away at it. And then eventually, with enough grit, you will get there. Interesting, so I suppose, where is it, it? It's about testing yourself, finding this grit within yourself. That's what. That's one of the many appeals of doing this kind of stuff. It's about fear. Yeah, I'm scared of a lot. A lot of people are under the misconception that you must be fearless if you do these things that come across as scary. Mm. It's the opposite. I'm terrified by them. Um, but I will not let fear beat me. I don't like the idea because of you know an arrogance or or a self you know confidence or an ego. I don't want to be hindered by my fear. So I try and take, the, take on these challenges that scare me. And um, it's like climbers, you know, I hear that you know, many, many climbers are actually scared of heights. It's actually the buzz you get from climbing that actually gives the thrill of doing that activity. Yeah, it's the human spider, isn't it? I think he's got vertigo. Well, he, I think he's passed away now, but he, yeah, I, can't, I couldn't believe that interview when I saw that. Uh, how are you? Oh, I have vertigo, but when I hold the building, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and it's just about overcoming these fears, overcoming these human emotions. I think we've all got it inside us. It just one person may try and overcome them, and one person may be suppressed by their fears. 
I guess I'm just the former. Yeah, brilliant. Good way to be. Very good way to be. And on that note, who's the most inspirational character in your life? Oh, that's a tricky one. I've, I've been asked that question a lot, so you would have thought I have an answer, but most inspirational. I am inspired by Ranulph Fiennes. I think he was an adventurer and an explorer way before it hit mainstream media and um, before, before everyone was calling themselves an adventurer. You know, he was actually mapping out new territory in the Arctic with a sextant before you know, the global positioning satellite was launched. Um, he was doing trips up the Nile, around the world, you know, before it, these things were done by anyone. He was also ex-military and um, he's a prolific speaker and just he seems like a cool, cool guy. I've actually had the pleasure of speaking to him a couple of times on the satellite phone whilst I was at sea and then also once in person and he's just, he's a real idol of mine. Incredible, incredible. I'm going to dial it back a bit in, in the chronology of your life, so I'd love to know. What was the most important thing you learned as a child? And where or who from? So, you know, it could have been at the dinner table, could have been at school from a schoolmaster or... But yeah, so, those two things. I think my parents really drilled into me the importance of being a nice person, a kind person, looking out for others, protecting the weak, as opposed to, you know, being a bully type thing. And so I've, I've always... I've always wanted to help those less fortunate. I've always wanted to help those without the opportunities that I have. Um, but yeah, I think that what I try and be is I try and be kind. I try and, you know, that old saying, if you haven't got something good to say or nice to say, don't say it. I believe in that. Um, but also hard work, you know. Mum and Dad are successful in their own right and they're very hardworking people. And it's that work ethic which I think has been instilled in me. Mm -hmm. So how, on that work ethic note, how, how did your parents react when you said you wanted to do this uh, expedition and, and then the subsequent impact perhaps on your degree, was it, was it something that they could see that your mind was elsewhere and you were ready to go but in a different direction? Were they facilitating and supportive of that or what? I was, I was, I wanted to take just a few months out from university, row the ocean, come back and crack on with the year, but the university said no, so they had to take the whole year out. So when I told my parents that I wanted to do this, you know, they didn't really think much of it because I'm very much a dreamer. You know, I'll think of these grandiose ideas or what I think are grand, um, and I'll talk about them all the time, and so people don't really believe you're going to do something like this until they actually start seeing the action. Um, but slowly, as I you know, jump through the hoops of getting to that start line, they started coming on board more and more. And uh, when they found out that you know, I could take a year out of university and then come back after the road, they were very much on board with it. Um, you know, I remember having a conversation with my dad in the car. Mum was in the car as well. We were driving back from wherever. And he, he said, Jim, why, you, why do you want to do this road? What do you think you'll get out of it? And I said, well, you know, I'll get this incredible experience, an incredible achievement. It'll, it'll help my CV. It'll be making me more employable make me more interesting, it'll grow me as a character. And he said, well, you know, I'm not sure that it, it will look good on your CV. I'm not sure it will make you stand out of the crowd. People are so, you know, talented these days that, you know, are you sure? he was basically being a dick. Mm, and, mm, um, mm. and he was playing devil's advocate. And my mum told me later that he'd only been that way because he was scared. Um, scared of, you know, the potential harm that his son was going to go into. Of course, I think it's the parent's worst nightmare, isn't it, when you're 
your uh, offspring tells you that after all that care and love and affection, they're going to go and work in a war zone or do something like this, you think, say, well, really? And one of the best things about that was that when we got to Antigua, you know, he, he completely flipped the coin, you know, he said how it was one of the best things he's ever been a part of, how, how proud he is, and you know, he, used the, he used the term mission accomplished because, you know, it was a massive mission. And to get to the end of that was just very rewarding. It felt great. Totally, totally. Was it more, did it feel like the mission was almost accomplished when you set off in terms of the preparation or was it very much still open up for grabs? Did you guys, because I remember watching a video of you and Luke and Luke's like, I can already fit, see the finish line and that kind of visualisation is driven home by an infinite amount of inspiring characters, Tony Robbins to name a few, you know, it is part and parcel of making these goals a reality. Did you guys feel that when you're on the starting line, having done the what year, two year prep that you'd already done, that you were, it was a putting in the hard yards. Of course, there were ups and downs within, but how did you feel at that starting line? It was it was two years of preparation, or a year and a half, and people say that it's you know 50% is getting to the start line. In fact, I've heard 70% is getting to the start line because you've got to raise you know upwards of 80,000 pounds. God, yeah, pounds. yeah, yeah, yeah. The money you raised was incredible for. But but the money you've got to raise for, for sponsorship just to get there. You've got to pay for a 40,000 pound boat. You've got a 20,000 euro entrance fee. You've got to do all your courses. Yeah, let alone the charity money. Yeah, ten yeah. grand of equipment, and so getting there is a massive challenge. But that was only very much half half the cake. You know, then we we've done so much talking over the past year saying we're going to do this, getting sponsors on board, getting people to back us. And so we felt a huge amount of pressure at the start line. Luke is a very different character to mine. He was, you know, he says he, was, he already knew he was going to get across and how he was visualising the end and all that. I never allowed myself to get anywhere near, you know, as confident in the mind as that. Even though I may come across as very confident, I was very methodical and I never ever let myself think about even the next day on the ocean. Every hour I just took you know, as it came and just made sure that none of our equipment broke, make sure we were making the right decisions with regards to navigation. Who instilled that kind of mindset in you? Because that is incredible, to be that kind of pragmatic. I remember, I can't remember the, the name of the chap now, he's done Tribe and stuff like that, but he was lost in the Amazon and then he, every day he did like a little notch on his stick when he'd walked like 100 metres. Yeah, that's it, yeah. Like, and, oh, that's not the Tribe guy, but yeah. Uh, that kind of mindset. Who and where did you where did you garner that? Where did you? I think um, I think you know, mum and dad are very good at keeping keeping their kids grounded. Um, and you know, I'm very aware of the fact that people chat a big game a lot of the time. You know, I'm guilty of myself. I chat a big game, but you're nothing but a twit and a bit of a loser if all you can do is chat the game and not follow through and back it up with your actions. I would never, I'm very aware of the fact that I didn't want to come across that way. So I, um, it was extremely important that we backed it up and got across the ocean and you know the fact that we did it in relative style was just the icing on the cake. But I have, there's n I have no interest in telling people I'm going to do something until I do it because it's just like the girl that cried wolf, you know, if you say you're going to do something, you know, people get excited, but then if, if you carry on and nothing happens, they lose interest and they, you're, you change in their eyes. You become a chatter as opposed to a doer. And, you know, it's much more important to do than it is to talk. Mm, no, I completely agree. I mean, I've fallen victim to that myself of doing, saying I was going to cycle to Istanbul and then got jobs and then I haven't done that. Yeah, so yeah. in terms of... That's more timing now, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's something that's 
inexorable in my opinion but yeah. it's a case of yeah when when it's going to come to fruition yeah interesting okay cool so what do you think were there some very formative events in your childhood <laughs> that kind of moved you towards this mindset it's difficult to look back and, and see whether any particular events defined who I am but that was was school a big a big part in Shaping who you are, do you think? Yeah, for sure. I went to boarding school. I had an incredible time, you know, not to start off with, but for the last three years, I loved it. And the best thing about boarding school, not the education, not the food, not the pastoral care, it's just the mates that you get. They, they become your absolute total family. It's sheer um, time spent together, isn't it? Like, it's yeah. that, the age-old tested rule, like, the more time you spend together, especially in and out, sleep, like, sleeping in the same vicinity, etc., etc. Yeah, you become um, you become a, a rounded person because you know any sharp edges your character may have get completely blunted down when you're in a group of people because ultimately you won't survive or you won't be liked um, if you have that sort of character. So I think you know, school taught me to get on with people, be diplomatic. Um, it also I think school drilled into me competitiveness. I was I was very good at sport at my first school. What was your sport of choice at this age? Oh, I was winning everything. I was rugby captain, I was gymnastics captain. Was gym really? Captain. Gymnastics? Yeah, yeah, I got all the athletics records and the high jump, blah, blah, blah. And then when I went to secondary school, yeah. I was a, you know, a much you were the smaller small fish. fish yeah, pond. classic, yeah. yeah. And then that, that took time to change and I ended up, you know, first 15 and for all those sports. But I, I, competitiveness is a massive part of who I am. I want to be the best. Um, and I may not say that often, but inside I'm always thinking about how I can become a big person in this world. Um, and with that influence, I will just use it to help others, to give people the opportunity um, to become the best person that they can be. That's the end goal, I think. Become big so I can help others. I was going to say, in your eyes, what does success look like? I think I get asked all the time what does success look like. And, my answer is success is being good at what you do. So you can be a good you know, match official, you can be a good dustbin cleaner, you can be a great entrepreneur. These are all being good at your craft that make you successful. Um, but to me, success looks like um, being relatively well known or at least respected in the adventure industry because for me, respect is important. It comes from actions and doing what you're going to say. Um, and it's very much to do with bravery. It's an, it's an alpha male type thinking, I think. So it's about doing the most daring expeditions, breaking the records if they're out there. Basically going to places and doing things that other people would think, holy shit, I wouldn't do that. Mm. Um, On that note, let's talk about Wadi Rum. How did that come about? And um, what is it, just quickly for the listeners? Yeah, the Wadi Rum Ultra is a, is a 260 kilometer foot race through the desert southern Jordan in a region called Wadi Rum. The race is called the Wadi Rum Ultra and it's five days and you have varying distances of legs and in total it's 260k and it's a business that I set up with along with another guy um, a year did ago. Did you think out the route, the idea, like where did that all come from? Uh, I met Jamie Taylor who's my business partner and he had already come up with the idea and it just but it had shut down because he didn't have the time to commit to it. Um, and I just sounded like a really good idea, a good model for a business because Dad's an entrepreneur and so I've always been interested in that side of things, setting something up and working for myself instead of someone else. And so Jamie Taylor and I set this thing up again and we had our first race 
month ago or two months ago and then we're having the next one in October 2017 and it's basically an incredibly difficult foot race through sand dunes, through dramatic wadis, um, carrying your own equipment for the week, sleeping under the stars in Bedouin tents um, and we want to grow that to become a big thousand person marathon hopefully in the next five years but, but you know small steps, it's bloody hard work but uh, hopefully it'll pay off. Totally, yeah. Well, I mean, a man of your age, like, you know, it's an incredible and formidable task to have done that and to have already put one on. Like, it's incredible. Do you feel that you're achieving stuff before your time or do you feel that this is quite in line? Other, other than completing the Atlantic Row and the Indian Row, which is, is an achievement, I get it. I haven't achieved anything really outside of that. You know, tons of people have ideas. Every guy on this bus will have an idea. Yeah. And you know, 10% will act on them, and then maybe 1% of those acted upon will become successful. Um, and I haven't created anything that's successful yet. Um, maybe it will become, but you know, I haven't achieved anything before my time. I've just got to keep working hard, and, and it's incredibly important to focus on certain things and not not become too wide in your areas of interest, because then you don't pay attention, don't put the effort and commitment into those passions. So I think it's important to settle on one or two or even three things and put your all into them and see them through to a successful stage as opposed to spreading yourself too thin. So we're jumping ahead of ourselves a little bit here, but what are those for you now? What are what? What are those few passions that you've got to get to that level? So we're on our way back from shooting a documentary. Is that, is that one yeah, of them? Yeah, so, so photography and videography is a passion of mine. Um, adventure, exploration, so pursuing in the expedition world. So those two are already quite linked, which is helpful. And then my business, which is, you know, the filming, but also the, um, the foot race, the Wadi Rum Ultra. So my attention, from being a guy that's thought about 25 different business ideas a day for the past 10 years, I'm now finally getting to that stage, and I'm so grateful for it, where I can just focus and think about those three things each and every day. And my time is therefore spent on those three things, as opposed to Googling yeah, my latest idea. That I woke <laughs> yeah, up with yeah, that yeah, morning. yeah, Join the club, mate. Yeah. That's poisonous. Well aware, well aware. Yeah, it's kind of like <laughs> mental entropy, isn't it? Like yeah, you, totally. you just scatter gun, yeah. and then of course, yes, you know it dissipates your energy. Yeah. Exactly that, exactly that. But it's, it's the it's kind of trade-off between, as as we're talking off off mic, like you only know what you're exposed to. <laughs> And if you're not exposed to it, you would never have known about it. Yeah, I'm saying the same thing twice, but I think you have to have this scattergun to start, like when we're younger. Like that's why I'm a big advocate for the international baccalaureate. I never had to do it in my university course. So yeah. you get a real tasting board of, of different subjects and topics, and then, like you say, then you can drill down into them afterwards. So I, I thoroughly agree with that. When I talk to schools, like one of my closing comments is is say yes to everything at this age. Do as many different things as possible. Because it's only by doing something you realize you either like it or you don't like it. Um, and by doing something or saying yes to a sailing trip with a, with a mate's dad or something like that, you know, it may spark an interest that you never knew existed. You'll meet people, you'll experience things, you'll better yourself. So do as many different things as possible, but then you must at some stage, and hopefully for luck it'll come at an early stage. For me it came later you know, almost 25, and only just settling down now. Um, if you're lucky, you'll find out what you love, you know, younger than that, and you will. I think we've got it. to remind ourselves that's a rarity, really, because I was going to play devil's advocate and ask you, at what age do you then start filtering down? But yeah. a lot of adults that I talk to, because I, I 
the whole reason this podcast bubbled up is that it was this uncertainty of where the hell am I going? Is everyone feeling like this? You know, yeah. I want to talk to people that seemingly on paper have had a very linear journey to yeah. incredible success, etc. But actually, it's you know it's the opposite. P- people fall into stuff and this and that. And um, there's a great quote by insert name here that some of the most interesting people. Oh no, I think it's on it's on the song um, Always Wear Sunscreen, which is like okay. have you have you heard of it? It's it's like a it's a professor's address. We'll listen to it after this to his like his class and then it's been made into a, a song called I think it's like Always Wear Sunscreen anyway one of the lyrics in there is like some of the most interesting friends I have uh, didn't know what they wanted to do when they were 13 they still don't now but it's a case of setting these short term goals and my um, programme director at UCL Carl Gombrich amazing man says I think this is paraphrasing him like, I think we should have two goals max these days two year goals and really work your socks off for them and then you can readjust and recourse yep. as necessary because the old the old way of life where it was a you were trained to be an accountant and that's what you were for the whole of your life or you were in TV for the whole of your etc I think that's more and more being eroded by technology and where we're going with there what do you what do you think about the the kind of one career for life yeah thing? Um, 40 50 years ago our parents generation you were winning if you were accountant, a doctor, physio, a lawyer, any of those things, trades, professional, getting that piece of paper where you can do it wherever. Now, that is not what it is about. You are way behind in my eyes if you're still going into those professions with the existence, constant emerging of new technology, um, the successful people, not the successful people, because I've already explained what that is, but the interesting people and those that are making money, importantly here, out of things that they enjoy doing and love, those are not necessarily the professional things anymore. Those are businesses, businesses. those are like technology startups, they're the arts. Um, I think you have to pursue, and more now than ever, you can make a living out of your interest as opposed to something that is a defined job or profession. What do you think's enabled that or sh- a shifted focus? Oh, the, the world is a is a much smaller place now. You know, I can uh, I can FaceTime someone, you know, in um, Sumatra in Indonesia, and I can see what they're doing this second. You know, that couldn't happen 15, 25 years ago. Um, the world is a lot more connected, and I think you've got to. If you don't move with the times, then you'll get left behind. You know, I'm afraid that my most interesting mates are not accountants or lawyers or bankers. They are professional sportsmen or small business owners or uh, vloggers and photographers. Uh, That's just the way the world is going. But with that comes the danger of spreading yourself too thin, what we were just speaking about before. So it's important to have a wide range of interests, but you must specify. You You should read about all sorts, but I think in developing those skills, it's important to have a skill, commodity, something that you can earn money from. Mm, no, I agree. Slightly off piece, but you sparked my interest there when, when you're talking about the now with technology, we're so interconnected. You can FaceTime something like that. What do you think about the benefits? Because of course, your rows largely is spent on your own. You know, you rowing, Luke sleeping, etc., etc. What do you think about spending large periods of time on your own, perhaps for reflection or testing, whatever it is? And how does that play now in the space where you can more or less get signal all around the world yeah. and do that? Is there is it 
Is it important that we have that time to reflect, or is it? I was at sea for 54 days on the Atlantic and 71 days on the on the Indian Ocean. So in that one year, because they were both done in, 20, in 12 months, I spent 125 days at sea, so alone, disconnected from the, from the outer world, and it was a different life. And what it realised, what I realised when I got back, was how much bullshit there is going on in in society how we spend hours, and I'm guilty of it, watching videos on Facebook feeds, which do not better our lives or enhance us. They just waste our time. And the same goes for the news. You know, I might read an hour a day on my BBC app. It's important to stay up to date with the affairs, but there's just so much bollocks going on, so much information that isn't needed. And being out in the ocean with nothing to stimulate you, but your own thoughts. It was very therapeutic. You know, it was hypnotic almost. You just got into this zone. You dialed back from society where your, your brain is rushing and moving at 100% speed, just trying to keep up with everything, trying to better yourself, you know, trying to keep up with the commercial world and capitalism, make money, get a car, get a flat because the housing ladder is climbing. Out there, none of that matters. It's about surviving the day, it's about eating, going to the toilet, cleaning yourself, looking after your rowing mate, and that's it. And when you come back, it's very weird that, you know, colours are, colours are brighter, noises are louder, um, and you just, I remember feeling that I was slightly disjointed and slightly eccentric for a month or so, whilst, you know, this new life. While you decompressed, I yeah, suppose, while you readjusted. Culture shock yeah. when you go travelling and reverse culture shock. Yeah, it was culture shock. Um, and then you, you know, get numbed back into just the rush of the game of life. So I think it's very important if you can. You know, it's an extreme version of what I did. But you, if you spend a week just somewhere out of a city, you know, it might be camping, it might be hiking. It's an incredible way to gather your thoughts and uh, rethink either your direction in life direction in your career path but just reassess you know am I happy doing what I'm doing what's the next step I should take because actually that's the best thing about doing these expeditions is that the time you have to think um, and yet decide your next move totally yeah it's time to consolidate reflect internalize yeah. and then set course again for ready for where you want to go yeah, yeah. totally but should they be finite you know you have You'll always meet them when you're traveling and stuff like that. They'll be the drifter, someone that's been traveling, you know, for years and years and years. Say you've had an expedition that was a year long, something like that. Is, do you think there's a point at which you need to return to society, quote unquote, like? For me, purpose is the most important thing in life. So I would not ever be able to just go traveling for a year unless I was making a film about it an educational documentary, photographing and being paid for that, or doing it for a specific project, which I knew would better me. You know, without purpose, we are buggered, I think. So I could never be one of those drifters. You know, it's very much about taking steps forward, bettering yourself, bettering your family, bettering those you love, bettering the world. Um, so whilst it's great to be able to travel and spend time alone, all these things, including these expeditions, there is a purpose, there's a point to them. Whether it's breaking a record, raising money for charity, enhancing your profile, there must be a reason to do something. And it's about getting that balance.
No, I concur, I concur. So you've conquered, some would say, the ocean. What's next on the menu? Um, I want to walk across Africa. Walk across Africa? Yeah, from Whip, Lagos. Length? The, yeah, the, across, yeah, the width. Um, from Lagos, which is Nigeria, to, to Mombasa in Kenya, and that's about, um, it's about three to 4,000 miles. Go through Nigeria, Cameroon, the Central African Republic, Congo, Kenya, and then Uganda. It's from the Atlantic to the Indian Ocean. And it would be six months to nine months of walking through war-torn countries, you know, that are engrossed in civil war. Central African Republic has seen some of the worst violence on this earth. Um, and it'd be jungle, it'd be uh, savannah. And the purpose is to not only break records, but to, I'm trying to think what the purpose is now. <laughs> well, the purpose is to do that, but also it's, it's a commercial venture. It's because I don't want to do any expeditions again unless I have companies on board, unless I'm being paid to do these things. So it's, I'll do this, this in partnership with, with sponsors. I see, I see. And the beauty from my eyes, just looking, you know, maybe you haven't even noticed, but it connects your, all your journeys to date, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah no, the Atlantic, <laughs> yeah. right across Africa. Totally. To the Indians, or across vice the Indian, versa, across yeah. the Atlantic, so yeah, it'd just be... So that would be pretty cool. And then, nice of course, we can continue the journey. Of course. And uh, eventually you'll have circumnavigated yeah. by, <laughs> yeah. by crook the whole globe. <laughs> And, and on that note, I've just reminded myself who yeah. one of my all-time idols, he's a South African guy called Mike Horn. Mike Horn? He had, yeah, he has done just that. He has circumnavigated the equator using only manpower. So he crossed the Amazon, he crossed Africa, he crossed Indonesia, and he sailed all the oceans. But um, All in one stint? All in, all in, yeah, all in two years or something. Wow-wee, what a, what a man, what a the man. O- the other reason about going to that, doing that route across Africa is that my grandfather was, was a doctor in Africa for 25 years. He was the private physician to General Idi Amin, and he first drove his boat, his car off the boat in Mombasa in Kenya. So did mine, yeah? Really? Amazing. Yeah, of course, yeah, of course, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I remember saying. Uh, and he also spent time in Nigeria as well, so I'm very much, he's a real inspiration for me and my grandpa. He was an adventurer in his own right, a brave man, clever man, um, and just to spend time in a, in a, on a continent, which he loved so much. Have you visited before? Yeah, I've been to West Africa, East Africa, South Africa, yeah, but I, I, haven't, I would never say I've had the African experience. Mm, mm, it's mm. all been superficial and touristy. Totally. What was the, give me an example of the wanderlust that he inspired. Give us a tale of his that really elucidates. Oh, he, he was a very um, sophisticated, complicated man. You know, I only saw him in the last 15, 15 years of his life, and he was extremely loving, but my, is this your on your dad's side or your mum's side? Okay. You know, he was a he was a doctor. He won many medals for treating cholera and various African nations. But he travelled a huge amount as well. He crossed the Sahara in a Land Rover with my grandma, um, and she would say how he had planned every single aspect of that trip. They carried, you know, a thousand liters of water and the equivalent of fuel. You know, many spare tires. He could navigate from the stars. Mapping was just meticulous, um, and I very much want to take. You know, I'm not an airy fairy guy. I like being meticulous planning. I don't like um, hoping for the best. You know, the saying that I was taught up, up to the rose was, "You've got to prepare for the worst, hope for the best." I think, um, and 
I very much want to, you know, I sometimes think back and, you know, what can I do that would make him proud or admire or respect me up there? And, um, you know, I think that by doing daring feats is one way that I could impress him, so to speak. Very much, yeah, like, you know, I guess I've got a lot of trying to impress and gain the respect of my family is something that drives me a huge amount. Something I don't necessarily think about all the time, but it does make a big difference. So when you say you only saw him for the last 15 years of life, was he based over in Africa before? or? He, yeah, he came back to the UK 20 years before he died. Um, and he and had you hadn't had much contact with him before then? No, uh, well, I was, no, I, I was, he was very much part I suppose of my you were life. quite young yeah, as well. He was yeah. very much part of my life since I was born. But he probably only just got back from Africa in five years and built up to my birth. Um, and there are just so many stories you know, that you get drip-fed from your mum through your grandma and you know one of the things I want to do is you know recount all these stories and um, really get the detail before my grandma passes <laughs> you know either mine first or, or you know in real life dies mm, mm, mm. I agree on that note what do you think about the importance of like collective and elderly wisdom and stories and I, I see this is going off on a, t a real tangent here but I remember just in, just in school, at grammar school, so ours was an all-boys school, and through, when we first started, we were year eights, they were year thirteens, you really respected, kind of feared, but you respected your year thirteens, you know, you get into, you know, they, <clears throat> there was bullying and stuff like that, but that's a, a, another note, but there was the respect for your elders that I think completely dissipated slash evaporated by the time we had got to that level, partly because if you had, if you were to hit a year eight or something like that because he was really pissing you off, then they'd go to the teacher and, you know, expulsion was an option, stuff like that. Yeah. And that's just, you know, this is just an analogy, of course, of larger society. And, again, technology intervening, perhaps, and accelerating it, but use feeling that they don't gain as much from elderly. What do, what do you think about that, that kind of relationship to elders and stuff? I think that, you know, they've been on this planet longer than we have. They've probably seen, unless they're very sheltered, a huge amount more than we have. And so learning from your elders and respecting them oh, is something that needs to happen anyway. It's mandatory. Um, but learning from them, I think, is really important. It's something which is being lost a great deal. You know, in societies around the world, you know, the grandchildren will look after their grandparents and then they'll look after their parents. And it works like that. Here, you know, in Western society, elderly people that aren't up to the times are almost, you know, ridiculed for how they don't understand how the world has changed, I think, I think that's just pathetic. Um, it's kind of like how they're, because normally it'd be, you know, but thinking of tribal society, something like that, it'd be around the fire, you would listen to you know, the stories of past, blah, blah, blah. But now this, that is falling on a deaf ear or, so, you know, the kid rabble would like to play on a PlayStation, something like that. And the sad irony is that the elder, elderly can't use the internet, so now we're, like right now, we're documenting this. We've got a snapshot of our lives, at however old we are, that will be preserved, inverted commas, forever in the internet era. Whereas they don't know how to use that, and therefore these stories really do die with them, and this knowledge dies with them. So, Before society as we know it, before we became sedentary as opposed to nomadic, however many hundreds of thousands of years ago, you learned from your elders because they could do things such as hunting, uh, catching, um, building that we didn't know how to do until they taught us. Now, do you think they're obsolete? 
what those skills. Mm. Well, I mean, with, like you said, with the internet, I suppose children can circumvent yeah. their knowledge because it's collective knowledge, isn't it? it um, but now with society, um, you, firstly, you don't need to be taught those skills. Firstly, there's probably less and less which you can actually learn from word of mouth through those that are older than you because, yeah, as you said, you can learn it from the internet. Um, and just we're a lot more... I think we're a lot less aware now as a nation, and it's still early, early years with all this tech, you know, 200 years time, they'll talk about this period when it was all developing and say how much it changed, but I think it's scary, you know, the amount of time we spend on our phones, um, and how dinner tables are no longer, you know, loud with, with, you know, laughter and chit-chat, some of them are, of course, but, you know, there's a huge amount of time where we're not socialising, I'm with someone else now, and that will have a knock-on effect on how we progress and evolve, not just as, as the person that we are now, but as you know, the human race evolves. And as I say, early days, we just don't know what it will turn out to be. It could be that LED lighting, something that's only existed for you know, however many years, is actually, you know, causes cancer. I bet our whole generation will get it. I don't know what you think of mobile phones, you know, when you're connecting to, yeah. you've got that in your, next to your nuts or next to your head yeah. for the large majority of the day that, uh, what could that be doing? But you touched on an interesting note there that I want to come back to. Um, it's one of my questions that I'd thought of earlier is, what is the most interesting or important conversation that you've had with someone, maybe maybe a close family or friend, what is the most important conversation you've had around a dinner table on that note? I think a lot of the dinner table good chats I've had, I was I probably had a lot of beer and red wine. So, uh, they were probably flowing wonderfully, and I'm, you know, I love talking to my uncle Simon about. Simon, I've had the pleasure of meeting you. Yeah, of course. He's, he's lived some, hasn't he? Yeah, he has lived some. He's also travelling with work, and I, and I just think that, um, you know, chatting about people that you know. I'm just trying to see whether there's anything that I've, you know, an epiphany or an aha moment that someone's taught me over a dinner table. I think I might struggle with that one. No, 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 it's quite often not an aha slowly you kind of especially with people you look up to with respect they it's part of a puzzle that then slowly fits together yeah, you're always absorbing you realize, yeah. and I think that's a huge amount of, of how we develop and how we decide to take the courses that we do it's all off a person we respect it all comes whether it's a teacher whether it's an actor whether it's a footballer we see what they do we can't believe that they can do it we're just mesmerized by it we therefore respect them we want to learn and do what they do and that's you can pretty much line up my life probably with just individuals who have inspired me and that might be Randall Fines with the exploration it might be a certain director or producer of an incredible documentary that I've seen or a cinematographer who is just a god with a camera um, or it might be someone like Sir Richard Branson who's created an empire and helped a huge amount of people from a business idea all these types of people have inspired me and I respect hugely and I therefore want to emulate what they have done. Hopefully in different, well, probably in different niches because that will happen naturally, depending on my interests. But ultimately, I think we choose to do what we want to do because we see someone that has something we want and therefore we try and get it. I agree, I agree. And on that note, who are your, if you were to pick, who are your free, model, free role models of, of today obviously it's transient and people change but right now who who's really killing it for you um, 
people that are killing it in the doesn't have to be the adventure scene, can be anything. Yeah, I think I think Mike Horn, who I briefly touched on before, mm-hmm. I think he's phenomenal. I just <laughs> the bravery of the guy. I mean people think that, you know, what I've done is is requires bravery, but then there's a max level up where I see these guys and I think, how the hell does he have the gonads to do that? So I think Mike Horn, the South African explorer, and uh, Mercedes um, brand ambassador. And then I think I'm interested by these, you know, these tech entrepreneurs, whether it be a CEO of GoPro, um, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, or Sir Richard Branson, and all these people. I think, you know, from all of them, I suppose here's one. I think Chris Burkhardt, the, the adventure photographer, or Jimmy Chin. The, um, the adventure photographer who does a lot of climbing. You know, I'm really inspired by them and how they've managed to merge, um, becoming, well, I suppose, amounting a certain amount of money and wealth through a, 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 um, an avenue which they love and enjoy. I think people that get managed to do that and merge their interests with creating a good living are just the ultimate. And I think that's probably the journey that I'm on, is trying to get to the right balance. Um, and I think my parents haven't mentioned how important they've been, um, and not only backing my interests and you know, encouraging me to pursue them, but also just in what they have instilled in me as, as a character. You know, hard work, not giving up, um, protecting those and looking after those who are in a position of vulnerability. And um, yeah, I think I have the coolest parents on the earth. Um, love them. In the dying hour, uh, dying minutes of our little coach journey here, then we'll come on to a, a few quicker, or not, not so quick, answer them in however mode you want for a question. So, what are your top three favourite books, if you do books, or movies instead, and why? I think Mad, Bad and Dangerous to Know by Serenoff um, is what I love autobiographies because, as you've probably gathered by now, you know, I, I love people simulate what they've done. So hearing his stories, how he grew up, you know, failed school, couldn't even get to Sandhurst, um, which is what I've got then gone on to fail at. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, you're doing well to emulate. I know. Yeah, I am. And then to go on and do what he's done, um, I love. Um, there's a book called The Pilgrim, okay. uh, which is a massive whopper of a book, but it's, it's in its fiction, but it, it follows out. Um, it follows a guy who's been exposed to horrific war and uh, death and destruction via the West. Um, he, he's a boy that's grown up in the Middle East, um, like all those boys that are growing up now in Aleppo and, and, and Iraq. Um, and they're discovering that you know these guys dropping bombs at people like Russia and the States and the UK, they must be developing you know, a hatred for the West, which I don't think is healthy. Um, and it follows a, a young boy who goes on to become a, a jihad. You know, embarks on his holy war and to cause death and destruction on the West. And I thought that was, although fiction, you know, I thought it was quite topical in how, you know, it's, it's, you can have one perspective. We look at those guys perhaps as being medieval, chopping off hands for stealing bread, executing people for being homosexual. Um, but they must, on the flip side of that, they must look at us and think that we are barbaric in women can wear miniskirts and yeah yeah exactly next question I reckon I know the answer to this already what's your strongest personal quality uh, 
her, her strongest mm. personal quality. Not a sense of humour, I'll tell you that. <laughs> My humour. <laughs> or I think I'm driven. I think I have big grand ideas and I'm sick of them being ideas. It's time to make them turn into reality. Um, and then I think being a good person, being kind, helping others is very important to me. I said one, mate. Pick one. Um, competitive. Competitive? Yeah. That's your number one. Okay. So that leads into what are you most afraid of? I'm most afraid of not achieving what I want to achieve. I'm most afraid of, of being average. Most afraid of being average. I like that. I suppose that melds quite nicely with the competitive nature. If you could witness any event in the future, present or past, what would it be? Any event. Um, I would have liked to have watched Pompeii from afar. Or the volcano? Yeah. Death and destruction. <laughs> yeah, just nature. For as long as you were safe. Not death and destruction, but just, yeah, nature, nature in its full force. Um, I wouldn't mind being on the International Space Station looking down on Earth. I know you asked for one, so I guess the final, uh, what I will, what I will go for is, um, I would have liked to have, yeah, maybe done what Felix Baumgartner did in Red Bull Stratus. And you did what, sorry? In Red Bull Stratus, Felix Baumgartner. Oh, wow. And looked down. I didn't look like a laugh. And skydived down. No, oh, it doesn't, out, it doesn't have to be a laugh, though. Just one thing that I would love to have experienced. Yeah, completely fair enough. Very good answer. What's a skill that you'd like to learn and why? I want to develop and learn a huge amount more um, photography and videography. Mm. Um, yeah, skill-wise. Here's my next question. Is the first thing. What does your perfect day look like? My perfect day looks like getting up early, six, going for a run, I'm going to the gym, getting back. <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> I, uh, do you do this before I arrive at yours at night? Nine? Yeah. I've been up for out. When did you ever go around about nine? Come around to yours at nine. For our office work. Never. Yeah, I'm up early. I'm up early. I take Sorry, my, carry on, carry on. I take my girlfriend to work at 7.30, oh. so I'm back at back home by 8.15. Is that then, on, a, on a moped? Yeah. Not on the tube, you don't ride the no, tube no, together. No, not the tube, that'd be late. <laughs> mm. And then... Back in the office by nine. Back in the office by nine, maybe doing some emails and getting an email through saying that a sponsor wants to back my next expedition and that they want to develop the brand ambassador role with me. That's awesome. Um, and then doing a bit of editing and then um, planning my next expedition. Awesome. And I suppose this day, I should say, comes probably secondary to actually being on expedition or not? Yeah. 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 When I'm on an expedition, I feel like I'm truly living. When I'm back at home in society, I feel like I'm just waiting to go again. I like it. So these are kind of a, a double, double-edged question of how would your friends describe you and how would you like to be remembered? I think my friends would describe me as, um, as fun, crazy, unorthodox. Uh, hopefully a good friend and competitive. Good stuff. Is that how you'd like to be remembered? Um, I'm not one of those guys that wants everyone to like them. Um, 
I would like to be, I'd like to be remembered as someone that achieved great things in his industry, in my industry or sector, um, and made a difference to the world for the better. Good stuff. I presume I know the answer to this, covering what we've already covered, but just very briefly, if it might be different, what's, um, what's the most defining thing or moment in your life today? Um, I've probably got, well, for a change, two things have actually popped in. Um, one was defining events or things to happen. Event, moment, either Got three, maybe. One was finishing the Atlantic Row, getting across, breaking two world records and seeing my family and seeing the pleasure it brought them and, and how proud they were. The second was not getting into Santa's for officer army training because that was a bit of a fuck moment, what am I going to do now? And then the third, I think, was spending time in, um, in a disabled people's home before the Indian Ocean Road. And we were, we were raising charity, raising money for charity for that charity. And I saw them and, I, and, I, and you know, they were happy. Um, well, which they're called the Enum Trust, okay. uh, based down in Hampshire. And I just saw people that weren't able to use their legs, weren't able to use their arms. And I heard, you know, statistics, something like 80% of the people that were there were there through accidents that had happened in their lives as opposed to being born that way. And I just thought that was unfortunate. And I think it's through that charity and Breast Cancer Care, the other one that I worked with before, made me into the kind of guy that I want to do as much for those that struggle with life as possible. You know, I'll always have food on the table, hopefully, I'll always have a bed, hopefully I'll always have direction, and hopefully I'll always be able to get there. But people that lack those basic things, I would like to help give those things to them, if I can. I like it. Have you got something that you wish you'd have said to someone? Whether it be a friend or a loved one or whatever? I wish I'd, I wish my grandpa had it. I have so many questions for my grandpa will never get answered, which you know, is just the case with life. Um, do I wish that I'd said something more? I think it's lucky that, that things don't spring to mind during this because I guess it must mean that I have few regrets. I suppose one of the regrets that I have is that is how my dad feels about how I um, effectively failed at university because I was so uninterested in it. You know, I, was, I knew what I was interested in, I just put all my energy and focus into pursuing that, and that was, you know, adventure, um, TV presenting through adventure. Um, and so my degree wasn't important to me. And so I'm very much on a mission to show him that it wasn't important to me and will not have any effect on being successful and, and making money and helping others. I think I've actually realised just from this conversation that I'm very much driven about, driven to please others, family members, and show them um, that I can do what I want to do. Which I don't know is healthy or not, but either way, it is apparently the case. Yeah, it kind of seems almost a journey of redemption in your eyes. I don't know redemption from what yet, but I don't know why, but... But um, yeah, I presume this this probably plays into that. What is the toughest trial you have faced? 
and what did you learn from it? Oh yeah, the toughest trial was, was getting rejected from Santos for all the officer training. And that was recently as well? Yeah, very recently. And I mean, I saw you afterwards and there was, you know, you were annoyed, you said you were annoyed for a week or so and then that was it, but is it a kind of, that's, that's, the, that's the outer Jamie and the inner Jamie's in a bit more turmoil? Well, I've been, um, no, it's not, it's not. I'm, I'm very able to, I don't know how, but I'm very able to, once something's happened, I don't dwell on it. Fuck it, fuck them, that's if need be, I will move on and, I will, and I will conquer the next thing. I don't dwell, because, you know, regret and dwelling is a waste of time, it gets you nowhere. Yeah, totally, So I found out to my detriment after leaving my first uni and then lashing myself on the back for millions and millions of hours, being like, why the fuck did you do that, blah, 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 blah. And then I changed, and then the same again for that, so time's free. It's yeah. absolutely knackering, and it gets you nowhere. So it gets yeah. you depressed. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. You've just got so to move on. You know, yeah. And my girlfriend's like, well, what's going to happen if we break up? Will you just, will you, will you just you know, get over that in the same way that you've got over your other failures? And it, it won't be the case, but you know, I am very good at um, putting things to perspective. I'm very good at putting things to perspective. If something bad happens, so far, I haven't had the death of a, of a close family member or a sibling. But if something awful happens, I will compartmentalise it, pack it away, and just destroy it. I, it's not baggage. It's not in my head there to come and give me a breakdown later. It's just gone. Mm -hmm. Well, as that chap on the on the train this, just this morning quite neatly elucidated in his own way, we're only here for a finite period of time. Why waste it, ruminating or worrying? Easier said than done, of course. But certainly easier said than done. But I don't have difficulty sleeping at night. You know, I think about a shitload, but once I get into bed and I realise that thinking about these things is only going to keep me up and make me worse tomorrow, I then shut off and I'm asleep in minutes. We, we digressed a little bit there, sorry. Yeah, we'll so you said question. the toughest moment you've been through. Toughest moments, yeah. And what have you learned from it? The toughest moment was failing to get into Sandhurst. And that was because for the two years before, I'd been doing all these different, different project work, but then I was going to get into the army and that was what I was going to do for a career and it was definitely set. Um, and then once that happened, suddenly the gates were open. <laughs> Join the club, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What am I actually going to do? Like, you know, my parents are both professionals, they're both lawyers, it's been drilled into me, not drilled into me because they're very open and free thinking and forward thinking, but they've, they're worried about what they don't know. As is everyone, oh, a lot of people, a lot of people, yeah. What they don't know is something which I'm willing to discover and is the path I'm now taking. I either be self-employed, make my own route away. So definitely not getting into that was the biggest fuck moment. And it was made a lot more, more difficult because, you know, I'm adventurous, I'm a good leader, I'm good at communicating, I'm brave. You feel you've got all the qualities yeah. you need to yeah. be that, yeah. Exactly. So it was kind of a check on what you thought about yourself, I suppose. Yeah, well, it wasn't, it wasn't. I mean, the funny thing is, unlike everyone else, all the other 20-year-olds, they were, you know, that thought they had these qualities. I fucking knew I had these qualities because I'd actually been in these situations. Mm. Unlike them, and it's safe to say unlike them. Um, Did you feel a bit cheated then? Yeah, situation? I felt cheated. I just thought, firstly, that, the fuck do they know? Um, and it made me really, really angry for the time being, but now it's just made me a whole lot more um, focused into achieving other great things, you know, just to put a big two fingers up to them. That said, I don't think about it at all, really. I just brought it up now, so I'm thinking back to the, the pain and anger it gave me at the time. But, you know, I've got over it and I've moved on. Mm. It's that 
I suppose it, it seems just from talking to you or from knowing you for a while, the social constructs are in amidst which we grow up. So, you know, our parents' expectations, our friends' expectations, our school's expectations. Please don't forget your luggage and welcome back. There we go, so that's our airport. But what I was saying, so the social constructs within which we're growing up, the same thing is you only know what you're exposed to. I went to a grammar school, you went to a you know, boarding school, they have certain expectations about their students, you're raised a certain way, you're taught certain things about yourself. This is what we're talking about off mic again is how the big thing that your school's instilled, talking with your uncle actually, is confidence, so that self-confidence. And then you go in, why did you go to university? Because, why, why I did you? I went to university to buy me time. That wasn't a bad way, getting a degree isn't a bad way and what, to buy me time. Exactly, and what was everyone around you doing? University, yeah. most likely, yeah. So you would have been an old one out, and it's kind of this kind of feeling. So people that go against the grain, the Bransons, the Fines, and stuff like that, there's a huge amount of self-backing. And yeah. my question to you is, did you doubt yourself along the way? Because I doubt myself millions of times because you keep getting the same questions from I still people. occasionally doubt myself. Um, and then I come to and I think everyone that ever made it big in a, uh, in a different area has always, they've all faced this doubt from other people. And I will not give up. I will succeed in, in the areas that I choose. Oi, oi. Here we are. We've arrived at our tiny, tiny little airport in... Stockholm, Visatras, whatever it's called. Checked into our tiny little lounge, little bar. And uh, yeah, half an hour to the flight. So we're just gonna wrap up the last few questions that I had for old Jamie. Forgotten the name already. No, no, I lied. We didn't even check the guy. Invented by a French bloke, <clears throat> but made famous by James Lipton in the act inside the actor's studio, which he said you watch. Yeah. yeah. Some good stuff, very interesting. Uh, stars on there that I get a lot of inspiration from. But yeah, well, oh, here we go. I've, I've, I've written it down. I'm such an organised bloke. So these ten questions originally came from the French series, Bouillon de Culture, which was hosted by Bernard Pivot, or Piv Pivot, I don't know how you pronounce it. But they're better known by James Lipton. So there we go. Proper intro, proper accreditation. Done. Short and sharp, or as long as you want. Mm -hmm. What's your favourite word, mate? Dream. Dream. What is your least favourite word? Normality. What turns you on creatively, spiritually or emotionally? Coming up with a dream and then seeing it through into reality. What turns you off? Rude people. What sound or noise do you love? Hotel California by the Eagles. What sound or noise do you hate? It can be anything, it doesn't have to be music. The alarm in the morning. Ooh, bedhead. No? <laughs> <laughs> what profession, other than that of your own, would you like to try? Uh, being a pilot is the first thing that comes to my mind. 
plane, helicopter? Plane. Plane. What are people that uh, drive boats called? Are they pilots as well? Captains, skippers. Captains. Uh, I digress. What profession would you least like to try? Accountancy. Accountancy. Mm. Not a numbers man. If heaven exists, this is our final question. If heaven exists, what would you like God to say to you on arrival to the pearly gates? You exceeded my expectations and you will be remembered. Big, thanks God. Jamie, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Thanks so much for sparing the time, mate. It's you been went. a pleasure for me as well, Sam. Thank you very much, sir. No worries. That bus journey flew by, didn't it? It did. didn't even exist. There we go. Oh, wonderful. Check all the show notes out for uh, links to Jamie's previous adventures and his future ones as well with First Expeditions. We'll get all your, all your socials on there as well. And, uh, yeah, tune in and tune on for further, further fun. Thank you, mate. Long may it continue. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much, guys. <laughs> Thank you very much, guys.